Hey there, welcome back to Crest in the Afternoon. I'm Marcus Peter filling in for Al Crest uh, on this Monday afternoon, the feast day of St. Paul Mickey and Companions, Japanese Jesuit martyrs. For Pope Benedict, the first message the world needed to hear in his pontificate was that God is love. He wrote, I wish in my first encyclical to speak of the love with, with which God lavishes upon us and which we in turn must share with others. Others, We talk more about it with Tyler Graham. Tyler Graham has been teaching high schoolers for more than 20 years and has a master's in theological studies from Ave Maria University. He lives in Florida with his bride and children and teaches at Donahue Academy, a Catholic classical school. Tyler, it is good to talk to you again. How are you doing? To hear from you, Marcus. I don't know if you remember, but you, you used to come by and uh, set some classes, right, at Donahue Academy? Is that yep, correct? yep. I, I taught there for, you know, just just about uh, the one academic year of my second year of the master's program. And, and yes, I remember you well, Tyler. I, I was very pleased when they mentioned that you were uh, you were one of the people that we were going to be interviewing today. And I was pleased to hear that you would be there, too. That's great. It's good to hear from you, Marcus. Likewise. So uh, I, I, want, I want to ask, so we're looking at an article that Tyler wrote for Homiletic and Pastoral Review, uh, the online journal, Pope Benedict XVI has found what he's been looking for. And you, you know, Tyler, you do a great job of rightly highlighting the greatest desire of Pope Benedict XVI's heart. So what prompted the writing of this article? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think think the Holy Spirit was a big part, but it was a combination of my own experiences with my family, watching, uh, watching a movie called Sing To, and reflecting on some of the encyclicals that I've read and, and taught with some of my students. Um, and then it just kind of, in the, in the wake of his passing over Christmas break, I just kind of put some, put some thoughts together on paper, and then I said, I think this, this might be an essay. I mean, I, I, at the core, it began with this song at the end of Sing 2, it all culminated, that movie kind of culminates around this song by U2 mm-hmm. called I Still Haven't Found and <laughs> Looking For. Right. And, um, you know, I talk about in the essay, I talk, I grew up atheist and, you know, I'm Generation X. And so U2 was a band I listened to. I watched the videos on MTV. And I, I mean, I never had any idea what might have been the meaning of any, uh, any of their songs. But then after my conversion and certainly as I researched for this essay, I came to realize that song in particular was really part of, of their Christian searching. And I guess they went to Joshua tree national park as part of their kind of composing of that album. And so it really has this kind of spirituality of almost like the dark night of the soul mm-hmm. uh, through though, you know, I, Bono doesn't articulate it in exactly those words, but the more you, li- you kind of study what he's saying there, um, it seems like he's wrestling with this experience of what Pope Benedict calls this erotic dimension of our love for God, right. which is kind of one half of our love, which is also you know balanced with agape, the agapic dimension. And I, I started kind of putting them together, and I realized that in some ways you have Benedict kind of answering Bono's questions or giving a sort of theological language for what he was experiencing in his own in his own spiritual life. And that was the goal of my essay to kind of show how Benedict could kind of complete that song. Mm-hmm. 
And you're completely right. Deus Caritas Est is honestly one of my favorite documents, and I'll never forget when it was published for a lot of reasons. December the 25th, 2005, it was the uh, Christmas of the first year that he became Pope. And, and hmm. uh, like you, you might remember this, I went through atheism and um, then anti-Catholicism, and I remember picking up Deus Caritas Est and, and reading it and being just just astounded by not only the authority but the love with which this man wrote and uh, this this encyclical is grafted upon my heart as as the exhortation of a father for his son mm. and you're right uh, Benedict does say that we need to reclaim a right understanding of eros. So for those of uh, for those of us listening, just make the distinction between eros and agape because the two of those things play a part even in your article. And then and then we can go on to talk about what Benedict meant by uh, reclaiming eros. Okay, sure. Yeah, and he situates. I mean, he's, he's such a brilliant theologian. So he's he's looking to kind of also have a dialogue with modernity. So he situates in a dialogue with Nietzsche. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, Nietzsche, Nietzsche claimed that Christianity poisoned Eros. <laughs> right. And Nietzsche is sort of the famous God is dead, you know, atheist humanism. And so, but but with a vengeance, right? Like an anti-Christian, like, you know, in rivalry with Christ. It's yep. and, um, and so for Nietzsche, according to Benedict, Christianity you know, didn't allow us to experience our deepest longings of our desires, right? It's always about, don't do this, don't do that, you know, ooh, you know, this commandment, that commandment, so Christianity never, you know, never lets us have fun kind of thing. Mm -hmm. That's sort of the Nietzschean idea. And what Bennett is saying is nothing could be further from the truth, right? I mean, that there is such a profound erotic dimension in Christian spirituality that, um, you, you know, you're, you're just not looking if you don't see that, right? Like Augustine, our hearts are restless until they rest in you, or, mm. you know, the, the great meditations on the Song of Songs. So to say that there isn't this deep, sort of overwhelming desire to be in union with the Beloved in, in, our, in our walk with God is totally false. Like, that's a real part of Christian spirituality. At the same time, at the same time, says Benedict, it needs to be purified. Right. Right? There can be something overwhelming about Eros, something that takes us out too much, maybe, of where we need to be in terms of full human flourishing as rational mm-hmm. animals. And mm-hmm. so it needs to be purified to a large extent with agape, the, the self-gift, um, and, and other aspects of purification. So this kind of, he'll talk about it in terms of ascending and descending. Right. Right, that um, maybe almost to think of like the ascent to God in this sort of you know erotic embrace, and then and then the descent to others as we as we go out and and act selflessly towards them for their own good, mm-hmm. and that these together are both love, yeah. and they they work to kind of help us grow in holiness when we sort of allow the two eros and agape to work together. Right. And so building off of what, you, uh, what you're saying right now, Benedict makes this distinction in paragraph 4 until paragraph 5 about, of Deus Caritas Est about how Eros draws the soul to ascend to God from within. And agape almost comes down from God as a gift for man to receive. And, and, and the two necessarily come conjoined in man's love for God and ultimately God's love for man. So, so tell us a little more about that. Yeah, I mean, you, that's 
that's exactly it. Um, you know, he that that's that ascent and descent that um, if God is love and you know to to live in God is to live in love is on the one hand to draw nearer and nearer to God in a kind of you know we'd say in contemporary speech as, a, as a, in a love affair. Um, at the same time, if God is love and to love is to will the good of another, it has a descending element. Just as God comes down from heaven in Christ, just as God in Christ, you know, descends from the throne as king and, and becomes crucified, mm-hmm. just as God, the crucified and risen Lord, decides to hide himself in the in the Eucharist, you know, this, this descent uh, for us, you know, something that we also need to imitate. So there's this ascent to God in, you know, in, in loving embrace and descent of, of God in us toward going out to our fellow man. Right. So, you know, you draw the conversation right back to Bono, and I have to tell you, you must be the only person on the planet, and I argue the only theologian on the planet, who's ever considered contrasting and juxtaposing Benedict's thought with Nietzsche and Bono in one article. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's a certain brilliant balancing act here, but so my question is: Did Bono eventually find what he was looking for? I don't. I don't know. <laughs> he was that. You know, I, I didn't get that far in my research. There's one quote I threw in there. You know, he he ends up he ends up with this quote like that. The song he says is a hymn to doubt rather than faith. But this is in some interview. I, I mean, he's a, he's a pop star, so he's kind of you know he's he's moving in and out of different circles. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think my deepest hunch is he's not wrestling with theological doubt. And I point that out in the essay. Mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I think he's trying to articulate those, those moments of, of classic Christian spirituality where, where we have great consolations and then God removes them. And, you know, in John of the cross, that's the, could be the dark night of the soul. Right. And, um, and there can be a sense in which, you know, we still haven't found what we're looking for mm-hmm. in in a in a negative way. Like, oh my gosh, um, this isn't really that good after all. Or, and this is where I think Benedict comes in. Or it's a final understanding that in this life we won't find what we're looking for. Right? That the beatific vision of heaven is something so overwhelmingly fantastic and beyond what we can have in this world that we should always at some level accept that we haven't found what we're looking for. So when, you know, when Augustine says our hearts are restless until they rest in you, Mm -hmm. you know, that finally that rest is in heaven, uh, not in this world, you know? Right. And and that's why it would be a mischaracterization of the Christian life to posit that upon reception of the love of Christ, I now have everything I could possibly desire. The fulfillment of all desire is in this life. In fact, Benedict makes very clear in paragraph 6 of Deus Caritas Est that no, that this, this love, this agape of God compels us to continue to search and yeah. renounce ourselves even to the point of sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's really important. And and moreover, I mean, I think, um, you know, I have this line in the essay that you know, as finite human beings, 
we are tempted in these moments of fulfillment and then emptiness mm-hmm. to supplant, you know, a rationalism for the truths of faith, mm-hmm. a worldly provision of the flesh for the otherworldly promise, a humanly satisfying worship for God in place of the one for which God calls us. We're tempted to a kind of modern idolatry, right? Those are the moments where we we're tempted to say, I give up. I, I I'd rather find what I'm looking for now. <laughs> right. You know, and, and we put a we put a false god in, in place and you know, and I point out that I, I think that that's one of the elements where you look at the life and work of Benedict you're like, that's that's what he was doing in such a tremendous way, you know, challenging yeah. our abuse of the liturgy, challenging our various idols, challenging our knowledge of God's love. Yeah. So I've been talking to Tyler Graham, teacher at Ave Maria, uh, Ave Maria uh, in Ave Maria Town, Donahue Academy, and Marcus Peter, filling in for Al Cresta on Cresta, Cresta in the Afternoon. Hey, welcome back to Cresta in the Afternoon. I'm Marcus Peter, filling in for Al Cresta on this Monday afternoon. We ask you to please continue to pray for the work we do here at Ave Maria Radio, and specifically for Al as he continues to do work for you on Crescent in the Afternoon. I've been talking to Tyler Graham, teacher at Donahue Academy in Ave Maria Town. He teaches at a Catholic classical school for more than 20 years now, and he has a master's in theological studies from Ave Maria University. And we're talking about his article in Homiletic and Pastoral Review, Pope Benedict XVI Has Found What He's Been Looking For. And we've come to the conclusion that Bono probably hasn't, or at, at the very least at the time the song came out, still hasn't. So, Tyler, I want to jump right back into this whole distinction between uh, this aridity and consolation that we have in the spiritual life that Benedict is trying to help us understand that even Bono seems to sing about. So tell us a little more about that. Yeah, I mean, ar- aridity, what a, what a great word there. You know, because they, as I was saying before, I, apparently they... They composed this song in the desert. You know, it's kind of a, 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 a almost like the Desert Fathers mm-hmm. trying to explore that. And aridity is one of those elements of the spiritual life, which can be particularly overwhelmingly difficult to handle if if we've had such great experiences of divine consolation that, like, like Benedict has described, this erotic dimension of of overwhelming passion and desire and experiencing um this sort of intimacy of of the erotic love of desire so aridity is where that kind of gets taken away um it can be misunderstood as a moral failure it can be misunderstood as i've i've i'm no longer loved by god mm-hmm. uh, it can be understood in a lot of different ways um, but, you know, it seems like a great tradition of the Christian tradition will un- often understand that as a deepening of, of God's love, where, you know, this, he's saying, oh, I've got something even better <laughs> for <laughs> you, but you're going to have to wait, mm. you know, and, and you're going to have to accept that in, in this life, you, you're not going to find what you're looking for. Right. Um, and I've given you a foretaste of that, but now you need to walk as the wayfarer in, in the desert, and it may feel arid at times. 
Now, you make mention of exactly this in your article. You, you say that Eros, according to Pope Benedict XVI, provides us on earth with this consolation and therefore a certain foretaste of heaven. So mm. t- t- tell us that, that whenever we experience this consolation, we are experiencing touches of what we are to expect in heaven. Yeah, I mean, it's, that, that's exactly right. And I, I think that um, that's, that's the positive good of that erotic dimension. And that, that aspect where Benedict is saying there's no, there's no way Christianity has poisoned eros. Mm. It's not like that at all. It's a full embrace of it. Um, but, but maybe way beyond anything any sort of pagan cult could, could imagine, anything way beyond Nietzsche could have imagined. Um, and, you know, he, toward, towards the end of the article, I, I bring out this passage where, you know, I think, I think this is the kind of thing where it may have been what he was reflecting on as, as Holy Father as he, as he left us, where, you know, he says, the term eternal life is intended to give a name to this unknown. Mm-hmm. Um, inevitably, it's an inadequate term that creates confusion. I think this is now from Space Salvi that I'm quoting. It suggests the idea of something internal, and this can frighten us, he says. Right. To imagine ourselves outside the temporality that imprisons us, in some way to sense that eternity is not an unending succession of days in the calendar, something more like the supreme moment of satisfaction in which totality embraces us and we embrace totality. He says, it would be like plunging into the ocean of infinite love. We can only attempt to grasp the idea such a moment is life in the full sense. I I think right there he says it like, yeah, you're not going to find what you're looking for here because you have to trust that there is an ocean of infinite love. So yes, every, every experience of that divine consolation, every moment we get that sort of overwhelming consolation and love and encounter with God and, and that sense of, you know, God, God is loving me in a tangible way now. Right. And I just want to be with him. And, you know, and, and it feels really great. But that is, a, that is a foretaste of heaven. Mm-hmm. But, but it's in some respects, still not really even close to what right. that infinite ocean of love is like. So while a foretaste of heaven, it would also be tremendously uh, fallacious of us to try to cling to that foretaste as if it were the yeah. be-all, end-all here on this earth. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And um, and I think that's, you know, that's really, really important. And, you know, it's, it was an art of, article for um, homiletic and pastoral review and so you know at a key point you know i said that there are there are some definite sort of pastoral and homiletic consequences there that you know we have to keep pushing ourselves and and pushing the faithful to to not give up Mm -hmm. to keep the faith right that that the journey may seem dark and it may seem arid and it may seem much less pleasurable than it once was. Right. It may seem like the thing that kind of got us on the the ship in the first place is no longer there. Mm-hmm. You know? And and so the pastoral and homiletic consequences there are very important, right? Like keep going, trust in God, 
he's he's doing he's he's training you to wait so that you can be ready for something even even greater in in those times of darkness in in those as you've mentioned multiple times now the dark night of the soul that inevitably besets and befalls every single member of the christian faith what is the Christian to cling on to? Memories of the foretaste or assurances in faith? Benedict seems to provide a, a very good rubric for this based on your article. Yeah, well, I mean, I know um, I know John of the Cross would say faith, right? right? And and I know that that was, <laughs> that was a really important thing for Benedict's mm-hmm. pontificate. I mentioned, you know, the Porta, the Porta Fide. He had that year of faith. Um, we had at Donahue, we, we set up a, a Porta Fida door of faith in, in our school. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, that was so important to him. It's, it's, it's faith that allows us to walk in darkness, right? Where we, we trust in God and, um, it's faith that allows us to overcome that temptation to what what Benedict would call this, 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 this unknown thing is the true hope which drives us. Mm. At the same time, the fact that it's unknown is the cause of all forms of despair right. and also of all efforts, whether positive or destructive, directed towards worldly authenticity and human authenticity. I mean, he's so fully aware of, of this way that in modernity we're, we're constantly trying to, you know, fill that void when when we feel that gap uh, between the here and now and and the perfect then, and so it's it's faith that's going to um, or or <laughs> or hope as he said you know we're saved in hope as he space out yep yep um, it's it's those theological virtues that compel us yeah. to keep going uh, even when all of our kind of worldly rationalism and feelings. And, and emotional affectivity are are not giving us what we want. Yep. And you're right. You're completely right in saying this. Uh, in paragraph 39 of Deus Caritas Est, uh, Pope Benedict says very clearly that faith, hope, and charity go together because that's the Christian doctrine. Faith, hope, yeah. faith, hope and charity uh, stay with the grace of God as the grace of God inhabits the soul as a quality. But uh, factually speaking, even, in fact, I, I, I dare argue, especially when the the place of the affect is not experiencing consolation. Faith, hope, yeah. and charity are given the avenue to abound all the more. Yes. Yes, I think that's true. So, uh, you know, I, I just want to pivot ever so slightly just listening to this. Uh, this is a terrible joke, but but th- there's a theological reality to this. Every time I hear you two's uh, Bono's, um, you know, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, I always think to myself, gosh, that would make a terrible song at a wedding. <laughs> that's right that's and, right i and, mean yeah you'd have to really <laughs> that's fantastic yeah you'd really have to qualify that statement right, right. what i mean by that honey is <laughs> it just keeps getting better and better and, and i know that <laughs> and i know that when i'm with you in heaven it will be the greatest of all right you know <laughs> no but that that's exactly um, that, what i wanted to lean into right we we yeah. cannot seek that kind of fulfillment on earth so yeah just keep going on on that train of thought that that despite the consolation of even the loving presence of your spouse that that's still not going to fulfill you yeah yeah i mean i mean we have to sure i mean that 
you know, and Augustine has that long passage in in the Confessions where he's you know, he's wrestling with friendship. Like even friendship mm-hmm. can can become a disordered desire, right? Like, yeah, mar- married love can become a disordered desire. Right. We can put we can put God, you know, what should be still oriented to God. We can say, I, you know, I'm going to just put it all in my spouse or this loved one or a child or my career or my money. I think, you know, any, that's, that's the biblical tradition of idolatry. And yeah, we can, we can do that um, with, with any of these things. Right. Um, You know, the nice, the nice thing about things like the matrimonial covenant Mm -hmm. is that it is so deeply part of God's love already that you probably can share (laughs) Mm -hmm. a little bit of your love of the divine with your, with your love of your spouse, right? If you enter into that imaging of Christ in the church. And so, um, to be very fair, just like you said, Eros becomes truly purified when marriage is lived out rightly because it becomes, it has to become selfless or the marriage itself fails. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're well, I mean, it's much better. (laughs) It's probably much better to be exploring love with your spouse than love with your paycheck. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You're, you're, you're going to have a lot more opportunity to, to grow in holiness that way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, we have just under a minute left in the segment, Tyler. I want to ask for an exhortation for all of our listeners. Uh, First of all, how can they contact you and what exhortation do you have for them as they're reading this article? Okay. Yeah. Uh, You can certainly contact me um, at the school at Donahue Academy. Um, I, my Donahue email is actually ethan.gram at donahueacademy.org. Long story why it's Ethan rather than Tyler, but they're <laughs> both my names. <laughs> and I mean, the exhortation is when we, when we follow the, the path of Joseph Ratzinger and then Pope Benedict XVI, we, we see the life of a man just so totally committed to following the way of Christ in the modern world and trying to make sense of how Christianity, living a Christian life in the modern world, is going to answer the various questions that are coming up from modern man and in our own hearts. And I think we can draw comfort in knowing that he has finally found what he's looking for, which is Jesus Christ in heaven going all the time. Amen. I want to thank you for joining us, Tyler. I've been talking to Tyler Graham, teacher at Donahue Academy in Ave Maria Town. I'm Marcus Peter, filling in for Al Cresta and Cresta in the afternoon. Stay tuned as we round off the second hour of today's program.